on a thousand planets and spreading out. Open the pod bay doors, Hal. Danger, Will Robinson. Danger. Look, up in the sky. It's a bird. It's a plane. To the bat poles. May the force be with you. Who is that mask man? Avengers, assemble. Welcome to the Fantastic Forum. I'm your host, Ulysses E. Campbell. We'll start the show, as always, with some genre-related news. A terrific new Godzilla exhibit has opened at the Nijin no Mori theme park in Japan. It features a museum dedicated to the famed King of Monsters. Phase 2, which opens next, includes a life-size mock-up of Godzilla's head. Visitors will actually be able to ride a zip line into the monster's open mouth. It's part of an immersive experience with a simulation where visitors can play scientists searching for a way to damp Godzilla's radioactivity as well as enjoy Godzilla-themed food. I'd enjoy seeing the museum part, but riding a zip line down Godzilla's throat will be a hard pass for me. The exhibit will be open through the end of August. It was announced earlier this week that Jensen Ackles will join the cast of The Boys for season three of the streaming series. Ackles is known to genre audiences from the CW horror fantasy series Supernatural. He will play Soldier Boy, who is the first known superhero from World War II in the Boys universe. Season 2 of The Boys debuts September 4th on Amazon Prime. The Batman director, Matt Reeves, has released first-look images of the logo and a Jim Lee-drawn teaser poster from the movie. You can see both via the Fantastic Forum Twitter account at twitter.com backslash fantastic, the number 4, UMTV. And while you're there, if you don't already, follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and like us on Facebook. We like to be followed and we love to be liked. Ben Affleck will reprise his role as Bruce Wayne Batman in the upcoming Flash movie. In an adaptation of the popular Flashpoint storyline, star Ezra Miller will pierce the dimensional barrier and visit alternate universes with different versions of the DC heroes. The movie will also feature Michael Keaton, who reprises his role as Batman in what has been described by director Andy Muschietti as a substantial role. The Flash is scheduled for a summer 2022 release. We're talking today about the recent restructuring and layoffs at DC Entertainment. And joining me on today's show are Shireen Nicole, Julian Lytle, and Warren Bernard. Thank you so much for coming back for yet another week. This is wonderful. Another pulse-pounding episode. <laughs> there you there you go, Shereen. Hey, okay, so before we get to it, um, I did want to just get your, uh, your insight on this uh, new Godzilla Museum, even though it's only a temporary exhibit that's opened up in Japan at the Awaji Island Anime Park. And they've got this, well, it's, it's in phase two, which has yet to open, but is set to open any day now because the thing only runs until the end of the month. But it's this gigantic Godzilla maw where apparently you can zip line right down Godzilla's throat. That's a no. 
Yeah. Do they have the slime as you go down his tongue? I mean, I just, you know, how real is this? <laughs> I have no idea. Wow, yeah, wow, exactly. I have no idea either, but First I have seen all, some people talking. First of all, y'all to lying in the name of Godzilla. He ain't trying to kill nobody. He's trying to live his life, trying to be the best kaiju he could be. Yo, that if, depends if, which Godzilla it is. <laughs> Godzilla ain't trying to kill nobody, but if you a gnat and you fly into his mouth, he, it's like when a gnat goes in your mouth, like, ah, knock a dang, and he's dead. It influences your tongue, and then he tastes terrible. They got to drink some water. You know, you got to flush your mouth. That's what's going to happen. You a gnat. Why would I want to be a gnat? That's true, but you don't know how much Ulysses maligns the name of Godzilla. You know what I'm saying? I better, be a, I better get me an ultra changer. And turn into one of the Ultra Brothers, you know, maybe I can put him in a headlock. But, you know, Ultra Man still going to catch the fade. So, either way. Strong you know, fade. You Strong know, fade. Pe- people want to act like Godzilla is a good guy. The only one of again. those kaiju. I'm Here telling you, you it's, it's Gamera. Gamera is First the only all, one. All the rest of them. After you have maligned the name of Godzilla, you don't get to say Gamera. <laughs> <laughs> You have maligned the name of the of the of the true king. Ain't it ain't go, it ain't it ain't Ghidorah. Nah, it's Godzilla. Okay. I'm sorry, I have to agree with Shireen here. Okay. Mothra was a good guy all the time, or good girl all the time. Too. Well, Mothra, Mothra is pretty good too. That Mothra that's true. Is a lovely woman, and the twins are sweet. But <laughs> but Godzilla goes through an arc. You can't judge him for the person he used to be. <laughs> Godzilla has killed a lot of people, Shereen. <laughs> so has Superman, if you count how many buildings he's gone through during Rush Hour. Nah, that's that man. It's still Superman. All that. That's the only one that did. That's the only one that did that. I'm only joking, but no, Godzilla is great. And, and see, this is what I was talking about, Ulysses. And, I mean, this is what I was talking about, Julian and Warren. Ulysses Milana in the name of Godzilla. Y'all hear? Y'all hear disrespecting, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I give you paper. You know what I'm saying? I can give you maybe like Millennium Godzilla when he was actually kind of a bad guy. Right. Or Roland and Roland and Emmerich Godzilla where yeah, I don't yeah. where he was Mothra but not Mothra. You know what I'm talking about. Yeah, Laying yeah. eggs and ting. But no, 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 no. I'm talking about Ishiro Honda Godzilla. <laughs> the, the real Godzilla. Japanese Godzilla is a about... hero and a right. champion for the earth. Exactly. That's right. An well, American new Godzilla is clearly like Roman Reigns, uh, <laughs> The Rock, and Stone Cold Steve Austin because he out here fight everybody I until he gets care. a King Kong in his island, and you know what I'm saying they're gonna end up teaming up and get some alien bad guy or something. But why did they have to put King Kong on the the, the performance enhancers though? He couldn't just you Not know I, he's too small. He's a split. He's the size of he's he got to grow up. He got to get big. You know what I mean? He got to do lift weights. Take some, yeah. was it monster growth hormone? You know, what yeah. He had to, <laughs> what's that thing that they take on the boys? He had to take that. Oh, compound V. <laughs> he had to take some compound. He had a mushroom like Mario. He got big, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> yep, yep. So, the but cousin you, Donkey Kong, you know, you told him how to punch. That's the thing, though, because Ulysses has no respect. <laughs> None whatsoever, from what I can see. <laughs> Don't pile on the rabbit. Don't pile on the rabbit. I'm just saying, we need you to understand who you messing with. 
Oh, I understand. <laughs> I understand exactly who I'm messing with. I mean, you know, short of uh, possibly Warren, you know, I, I, I knew Godzilla, you know, before you other young people, you know, were were self-aware, you know. Yes, <laughs> but Warren kept up with Godzilla's arc, and you did not. And then you tried to invoke <laughs> the name of Gamma Ra. That ain't what we do here, because that's my boy. <laughs> my boy. Well... You know, I, all I can say is Gamera especially goes out of his way. I mean, which isn't to say that if Godzilla's goals are aligned with humanity's, that he's not capable of doing us a solid, okay? No, but he's, our, he's our dude now. He wasn't our dude in the beginning. And then, see, you, see, you know what it is. You don't watch enough anime. You don't watch redemption arcs because you watch an American television. People don't get redeemed; they get kicked out the window. Mm. They, they call that yeah. defenestration. They do call that defenestration. Are you familiar with the two defenestrations of Prague? Yes, indeed. I, oh, wonderful. Oh, yeah, super deep. Yeah, I love history. I am. Oh, is isn't history beautiful, Warren? It, it is indeed, and we we will. In fact, D.C. history, there's some interesting stuff I found out. So when we get into this conversation, I'm going to bring up some history, okay? So Ooh. I'm with it. Let's go. That sounds good. Let's do it. Mm -hmm. Okay. So uh, last week, yeah. it was announced that there were a number of changes. Oh, excuse me. You're listening to Fantastic Forum on WERA 96.7 FM. Radio Arlington. I'm Ulysses E. Campbell. I'm joined today by Shireen Nicole, Julian Lytle, and Warren Bernard. And uh, we were just getting ready to get into the primary topic of discussion for today's show, uh, which is DC Comics and some of the changes that have taken place over there. So uh, I guess about a week ago or so, uh, there were... Um, there were a bunch of layoffs <laughs> over at DC Comics, uh, is sort of reorganizing, restructuring, and uh, of course, uh, DC being an arm of Warner Brothers and uh, the home of Superman and Batman and Wonder Woman and a, a icon of uh, comics publishing. So... My panelists last week, we were talking about something completely different. This kind of came across the table, and everybody was really interested in and excited about it. And so we're going to talk about it today. So um, anyway, uh, at one point, Dan Didio and Jim Lee had been the co, what were they, the, the co-publishers, co thank you, of D.C., and uh, Dan DiDio uh, left several no. months ago. No. no. He was fired. Yes, fired, thank right. you. <laughs> well, <yes. laughs> he was left of le left not of his own volition. He um, fired. Let's keep and, it yes. Buff. That, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Um, so uh, Jim Lee, uh, the sole remaining publisher, and uh, I had wanted to pose the question first. To Julian, actually, hell, we posed it to everybody, because it, 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 Jim was working so long with Dan doing this. Is he up to this job by himself? What do we think? Why would he be? He ran a whole comic company by himself before uh, DC decided to buy Wildstorm from him. Mm -hmm. Maybe and back in those days, he he didn't really want 
that responsibility anymore. He was a lot younger, and he wanted to probably spend more time with his family. And he wanted to make sure his people were straight. So DC was like, yeah, let's get them properties. We want them Alan Moore comics. Give them up. Like, yeah, yeah right. take this money. And he's been there ever since, but also seem to forget he is the chief creative officer. And he's been working in the background on stuff for a long time on things that's not necessarily comic books. Like, he comes in, he does a book, he does covers that pushes sales of units. But when it comes to, like, working on those video games, like that DC Universe Online and stuff like that, he's working on that stuff for, for many years. So even when uh, Jeff Johns decided to leave, um, <laughs> see, that one was a, a choosing to leave. Not, you know, not like the D.O. The D.O. was, now nah, you're done. Um, he took over the chief creative officer's officer role while still being co-publisher. And then he's, you know, then the D.O. was fired, so he took on publisher and continued that role, a role he, which he still has after all the rumors and things have died down. And he had his, his interview with The Hollywood Reporter. But, yeah, like, I don't, I think every person that was part of the Image 7 could run a comic book company. That's why they did what they did. Hmm. And so, I, you got to show me how he couldn't do it and why was Daddy Dio so much better at it because there's a lot of issues with Daddy Dio running things. And a lot of people talk about <laughs> not on on radio on the air feelings and that this side of the third about what he was pushing and what characters he wanted to kill. Hmm. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I've I've heard some stuff about that too and you know of course the well i i don't know i was going to say the bread and butter of dc has been the trinity that i just mentioned superman batman and wonder woman I, in a way i mean because wonder woman uh, up until recently uh, even though she sort of had the history uh that character has just been through through so much and had not historically been one of the company's biggest sellers uh you know i think it's the fact that this is probably the best known female superhero, you know, going back to, um, you know, William Marston's uh, creation of the character in the 40s. But uh, but I but I digress, though. So, um, no, and I didn't mean to suggest that Jim Lee wasn't up to it. I'm just thinking about the length of time that he had been co-publisher and I had expected them to name somebody to work with him and they didn't. And, uh, you know, but, but the whole business is no, different. No, no, but, they, but they're going to. Yeah. Okay. The general manager. Right, right. They're going to bring in a general manager. And, and you know, I, I want to, um, you know, talking about Dan, Dan DiDio and Jim Lee being co-publishers, um, I, I went ahead and I had uh, Greg Bennett at Big Planet Comics just fill me in on what he thought the best superhero stuff was over the last half decade and fill me in with the graphic novels. And so here I'm, I have Mr. Miracle. All right. All right. Which I'm sorry. I couldn't stand it. I left it after like 12 pages. But <laughs> I mean, it was it was it was awful. Um, but that aside, in the front, there is a list of all of the VPs. Now, this is 2019. All of the VPs at at DC Comics. Now, I came out of an organization when I was in the corporate world of about 3000 programmers. OK. And information technology people. And there were maybe 15 VPs, mm -hmm. 3,000 people. And I count, let me see, one, two, three. There's like about that many here. And th then you get some really interesting stuff because you've got someone here who is the um, 
the VP of uh, Specialty Sales and Trade Marketing. And you've got someone here who's the VP of Sales and Trade Marketing. And then you've got someone here who's heart of manufacturing operations. And oh, here's another senior VP of manufacturing and operations. And there's got to be, I mean, if, if you look at the org chart at the VP and senior VP level, this is totally ridiculous. Okay. There is so much overlap between, between so many different people on here with the same names in their titles. Right. And so you begin to wonder about, was this, was this more about running an efficient organization and making money, or was this really about people carving out individual budget-oriented fiefdoms that they could go ahead and claim for themselves? And I would say, reading the tea leaves of this org chart, it's the latter. And so if there's that much chaos at the top, how can people mm. execute at the bottom? Mm. And one of the interesting things in Jim Lee's um interview was that he said oh yeah we're gonna we're gonna cut those um uh those titles that aren't making us any money that aren't profitable it's like well i'm sorry why'd you wait till now all right i mm. mean if, if it's not making you money right and you're a big organization and and you could say this even before they moved out out west okay when they were still back in new york all right even before they, they were bought in 2016 by AT&T, if they're not making that fundamental decision, then what, you know, what's the joke? I mean, what, you know, what, what's going on here? What kind of business are they running? I think it, I think some of that goes with the competition aspect and in the direct market, because Marvel puts out a hundred comic books a month or before pandemic. And I think DC was putting out between 70 to 80. So just to have that shelf space to compete with, you know, their main competitor and, you know, Marvel kind of floods the market with books and they'll just, they have a different structure. They have less VPs and they don't pay people as well. So I, I think they made some, some flaws, you know, I think a lot of people, this is Monday morning quarterbacking, but maybe, you know, there were some people in, in, in Warner media was like, Hey, yo, um, Oh, this ain't working no more, champ. Like, we well, get no but, money. And but but also think about what you just said. If if um, Marvel is doing a hundred titles a month, and DC is doing eighty titles a month, I'm sorry. Just the rack space alone, my head spins every time mm -hmm. I go into Big Planet Comics. Yeah. Right. And and this is the exact same thing that happened in the Shakeout in the fifties. That there was so many different publishers putting so much product into the distribution lines, that the rack space couldn't be found for all of the titles. And let me tell you, all right, if I walk into Big Planet Comics, they don't have 180 new titles out there every month waiting for everybody to come in. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. So, so and, I'm and I'm going to ignore Marvel right now because we're talking about DC, but just from a business decision, forget anything else, they had a lot of they had a lot of trouble on their hands, okay. From the multiple types of VPs at the top, all the way to eighty titles at the bottom, which can't get shelf space. So, just just my my take on the whole thing. So well, this didn't the, surprise me. Yeah. Well, the other thing, and I think uh, you all have made a very good point in terms of the business, but. 
part of my question becomes, what is the business now? I mean, because, all right, are we talking about publishing comics or are we talking about the DC characters as uh, being um, intellectual property? Because I think the blueprint that has been laid out by Disney Marvel is that these characters have great value as source material for other media your tv your movies you know and, and that being whether it's released through uh you know broadcast or cinematically or streaming um you know they, because quite frankly even a moderately successful comic book movie is going to generate more in the way of profits than the entire combined comics industry does in a year you know which i i think personally you know bodes poorly for the continued survival of the big boys in terms of publishing and i think that there is a struggle in some ways to remain relevant in a landscape where your main value is as intellectual property you know and i think part of that is evidenced by the fact that it takes them so long to cut pro titles that aren't profitable the other thing is and i think about this in terms of the overall profitability of it and looking back to even something like shelf space from from the 60s because i remember back when dc controlled the distribution and they could tell marvel how many titles they were going to be able to put out and then you know that ended in the early 70s and all of a sudden marvel expanded its line and you know you got all sorts of you know, the urban heroes you got monsters you, you know but there were all these more books that were available but also uh, and I, hey, inflation being what it is, but the books were more affordable. I mean, if you're talking about something that's 15 cents a copy or 20 cents a copy uh, versus some of the stuff now, which, I mean, the going rate is easily $3.99 and up for some of these. And and that's not even the, the major selling stuff. I mean, I, my understanding is that trade paperbacks are where a lot of companies are really making their money. You know, I mean, to say nothing of all the independent companies. So, I mean, how does in terms of the overall business of it, I mean, how, how do you make money doing this? What is the business now? They, they, they make money. It's just it's the it's the return on investment and how much and what's the profit margin that you're making. So. To, to comment on what you said, like Marvel didn't start this. If you really look back when that guy cheated Siegel and Schuster out of Superman like he wanted to make money off of Superman he was making money off of the licensing of Superman more than the comic book like the, the radio yeah, oh show yeah. Oh, the, yeah. The, the merchandising so this Superman isn't even, was making millions in the 40s like this, is, this isn't new they kind of started it like Superman and Mickey Mouse started this so I, yeah, like, but the I comics were still making money back then. The comics still make money to this day. It's just what this gets into an idea of capitalism. How much money do you want to make? And if I'm a company and I pay 170 billion dollars for a media conglomerate, and now I got debt, well, I need to make more money quicker. And I was going to make some of this money because I was going to put out these cool movies. But now nobody can go to the movies anymore. So now we got to trim the fat. So it, like all these things matter. I think comic books still gonna come out. The YA books sell really, really well. The trades sell really, really well. And then you can't always trust um, 
honestly, the Hollywood people to rethink some of these ideas because they're not familiar with it. So they need people to reimagine and re-engineer these heroes every, you know, couple of years or so, so that some person can look at it and be like, yeah, maybe we should make this. And then you get movies and TV shows, or you might get a cool game that's going to sell like a couple million units at $70 a pop. And, you know, you're doing good that way. Like, for a lot of people, their favorite Batman is, is, is the video game Batman. They don't even care about movie Batman or comic book Batman or cartoon Batman. They like playing as Batman. So I think it's all it's all part of it. But So I think comics is going to still be around. And I think maybe people, comic book fans, have a overestimated importance on what comics was overall. Like, so a lot of these characters I didn't even in, was introduced to comics. It was through a cartoon or a toy or... Like Secret Wars was a toy line. They just made a comic book to sell action figures to me. Uh, didn't read yeah. it till I was an adult, but I had them figures though. Well, and that was especially true. I remember Superpowers. You know, that was sort of that side. You know, with DC doing that. In fact, the comic books. There, there was a comic book Superpowers, but that was totally created to sell those. I think it was like Mattel or something, but that was created totally to sell those figures. But look, um, that musical cue means that it's time for us to take a short break because, of course, Fantastic Forum comes to you via WERA in Arlington, Virginia. We're a community media station, and that means that this is a place where you can get involved. And there's never been a better time to do that with the questions about media literacy and the availability of access to the media. Uh, Check us out today. Make it your business. W-E-R-A dot F-M. So we're going to step aside while we acknowledge the invaluable contribution of our underwriters and our sponsors. And we're also going to take a couple of moments to promote some of the other W-E-R-A shows that are coming up later tonight. But stick around because Shireen and Warren and Julian and I are going to be back with a lot more right after that. Don't touch that dot. And we're back here on Fantastic Forum on WERA, 96.7 FM, Radio Arlington. I'm Ulysses E. Campbell, and I'm joined today by Warren Bernard and Julian Lytle and Shireen Nicole. And we are talking about the huge reorganization over at DC Comics, which uh, in a lot of ways started a couple of years ago. I mean, DC relocated from what had been historically the center of American publishing in Manhattan and they moved out west to LA basically to consolidate their operations in terms of what they are doing with TV and with movies and I thought that was a very fascinating move. Well it was actually actually more fundamental than that the whole thing really started when in 2016 AT&T bought Time Warner and then it was just a matter of time Right, yes. and they paid. They paid a lot of money, a lot of money, for Time Warner. Part of it was to go ahead and cash in on films and amusement parks, but you can't do that in the middle of a pandemic. And that has put, with a whole bunch of other things, that has put AT&T into a financial panic because they're also shedding Direct TV customers at 800,000 800, customers a quarter. So all of this stuff that's happening was accelerated because of the pandemic. Well, and that sort of brings me to another point that I was coming to in terms of 
this DC Universe streaming service, which debuted to, uh, well, a much ballyhooed debut, shall we say, two years ago. And now uh, Jim Lee has confirmed that the original content on the DC Universe is going to be migrating to HBO Max. Well, and I'm assuming HBO Max and the CW where DC already has the home of a number of its uh, comic book properties. And uh, it's seemingly DC Universe is now going to be comics only. So, um, you know, let's, let's, let's talk about that a little bit in terms of what this shift means and, uh, and why this is significant. Shereen? Um, this is something Julian and I have talked about a lot. HBO is one of the greatest makers of television out there. They just, they make television at such an extraordinarily high level. And you've got DC Universe who has a number of shows that aren't quite reaching their potential for a number of reasons. Um, Swamp Thing was, I guess, canceled and revived, which probably wasn't the best idea. Uh, Teen Titans is sporadic at best. Um, Young Justice is amazing. Stargirl has a lot going for it. Of course, it's going to the CW. And then you've got Doom Patrol, which is probably out of the live action, it's kind of jewel. So what you're looking at is that HBO Max, HBO being a great creator of television, they're looking to make that streaming service work. What they're doing is cherry picking. And they're not just cherry picking from DC Universe, they're cherry picking from everybody. They snatched uh, Summer Camp Island from Cartoon Network and began calling it a HBO Max original. Whole second season. So I think that we're going to benefit from that because we're going to get a Titans. Either Titans is going to be canceled and and remade or we're going to get the Titans we deserve. And, and we deserve a very good Titans. We've been waiting for it for a long time. So I think HBO makes a lot better decisions than DC Universe. And I think that they've, um, they've shown that we're going to get better television. So I think that's going to continue. Uh, and I think that maybe DC Universe, or what I would do with DC Universe, is that I would look at models like Webtoons. And I would start to move that content into a Webtoons format where people can read all of these classic comics and read new comics as well and build a community around that because that's what we really like right now. We like to have a community around our fandoms. That's what I think. Uh, Jim Lee said something very much like that. In fact, uh, as I have read the quote, says, in regards to the community and experience that DCU created and all the backlist content, something like 20,000 to 25,000 different titles, and the way it connected with fans 24-7, there's always going to be a need for that. So we're excited to transform it, and we'll have more news on what that will look like. It's mm. definitely not going away. Part of what fascinates me with this, and admittedly kind of troubles me, is it's all too big. What's going on here is, I can't wrap my head around it. Uh, there's so much that's happening and in a climate that is an unsettled and unstable climate. And I, I very much like to try to uh, try to see the whole picture. And it's like and it's like I can't, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm having difficulty even articulating what all this stuff is. And it seems as if, frankly, the entire industry has been in 
a ongoing state of flux, largely because I, 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 my perception being that nobody knows what this thing is. And Julian, I appreciate what you were saying about the overall profitability of it, because I'm still stuck on what takes primacy. And that to me seems to be the movies because they're generating greater profit. But, you know, as you pointed mm -hmm. out in a capitalized society, I mean, profit is profit. And so if you've got these other areas that are profitable, hey, that's great. You know, and you don't want to piss those off or piss them away. But, you know, as long as it's all spending off money. Well, but and, and to, in terms of the big picture, you know, one of the things is, is that all of these streaming services, like the way you watch television today is not like you set your VCR and Superman's going to be on at nine o'clock and then Batman's going to be on at 10 o'clock. Set the VCR and get that stuff. It does. It, people don't watch that way anymore. And one of the things that, that I think is going to happen, and I'll, I'll stick my neck out over this, is that over the course of time, I could see Time Warner and AT&T pulling everything off of the CW network because the CW network one is owned by CBS Viacom that has its own streaming service. And when you go into CBS All Access, you don't see any of the DC Universe there. Okay, mm. so um, and and take Krypton for instance. Krypton was on, uh, you know, I had I had sci-fi oh, sci yeah. on the Sci-Fi Network. Okay, well, guess what? That got moved into DC Universe. And my feeling is is that things like you know the Flash and the other shows that are in that continuity will eventually find their way over to HBO Max. And that's going to be used as a magnet to get comics geeks to go ahead and sign up for that service. Hmm. Yeah, a lot of that stuff is on Netflix now because uh, I saw. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but yeah. but that but that deal, if I, I seem to remember reading something, that that deal is only for a couple of more years at best. And if, and once those contracts expire, you can be guaranteed to go ahead and seal that stuff. Mike over to HBO Max because HBO Max is a direct competitor to Netflix. And Netflix mm -hmm. is a direct competitor to CBS All Access and to Disney Plus. And so just look at what, what Disney has done. They have put they they went about assembling as much content as they could. So they bought the Muppets and they bought, you know, oh, they threw a couple billion dollars at George Lucas and they got Star Wars. They already had Mickey Mouse. All right. Then they bought Marvel. Now, it's not a coincidence they did that. And all of these other services are going to go through the same exact thing to get exclusive content that you can only get on their platform. I agree, because that's the same reason why Viacom and uh, CBS decided to remerge, which even that's in right. my young 20s, I was like, why are you splitting up? Because I can see the future. <laughs> I'm like, why are you splitting into two? Yeah, that is not smart, because I already had Netflix in 2007 on Xbox. That was the first first device that had streaming Netflix, and I could see it. I was like, and they was like, we're going to split apart. I was like, that's the dumbest thing you could ever do. CBS, you just get old people, and and Viacom, you just got all the young people. Why would you split those demos up? So, yeah, just to, to continue that, I, I don't. The the push to HBO Max is 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 a p imperative for the parent company. That's right. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. 
yo because they sell they sell data service they sell access they get you to buy a device through them and you have to pay them a monthly fee so even if you think of the movies if you know anything about hollywood math no movie technically turns a profit but you know what always turns a profit a subscription and reruns every month even more than reruns yeah you paying a phone bill every month and then internet access every month and then another subscription that you have to use the internet for to get access to on top of all those other two that you just paid for that's the money keep everything within AT&T cuz that's the one thing that that's right Comcast AT&T have over Disney and Viacom CBS is they control pipes mm. well Verizon also has pipes and yeah they don't got a company yet well, but, but right, right. They're they're not a content provider. Their their bet, their whole bet is just strictly on. Well, they sort of have content. They have mm-hmm. Paramount, NBC with the Peacock Network, but that's Comcast though. That's Comcast. Oh, that's right. That's Comcast. Right, right. So Verizon, they're they're strictly a pipe company. So I'm with you on that. Hmm. All right. Well, what about because uh, we were some of the things that we were talking about. Uh, kind of halfway off book here, but I'd wanted to make sure that we got it in uh, the YA market. Um, and uh, DC had made a concerted effort to attract younger readers. And, you know, this is something that I think has been a problem uh, generally for the comics industry. Uh, Warren, what was it you said in connection with that? Well, yeah, you, you know, when the bottom line is if you're sitting there and you're looking at the demographics of the people coming into the comic market, they are not minting any more 45-year-old white men going into comic book stores <laughs> to buy floppies. <laughs> they ain't making any more. Okay, mm-hmm. however many men of that age are going to buy comics, that's all we got. All right? And as a matter mm-hmm. of fact, those people eventually do things like die. But the YA market... Uh, let me give you just one example, okay? Raina Telgemeier's last book, Guts. Do you know what the print run was on the first edition of the hardback of that? I do not. 20,000? One, one million copies. They did one million in the first run? Well, then it's Raina Telgemeier. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, but but think about how big that market is. All right. Mm. If, if, it's massive. I just didn't know they were printing that kind of first run. That that's right. Okay. So even if you're a third tier person, you can get what, ten, twenty thousand, thirty thousand, whatever whatever that amount is. There are th- th- that whole market, if you talk to teachers that teach in middle school and in high school, and particularly in middle school, all the kids are reading, you know, graphic novel stuff. Even Keith Knight has done YA, illustrated YA books with Jake the Fake. That's where, that's where the money is. And those people, if, you, if, if, if they buy graphic novels when they're that age, they will continue to do so as they, as they get older. The trick is going to be convincing all of those YA people. By the way, mainly girls all right, are, are buying this stuff. Hmm. Um, to buy to to get into superheroes at that age, and how do you pitch superheroes to um, a YA group, and mm-hmm. what do you have to do to do that? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and and part of what is really fascinating about that is that uh, historically, the perceived demographic for comic books has not included 
the female gender. You know, right. I mean, yeah, we've known in actuality, yeah, girls like comics, but you know, this has been a a myth in in these geek, the, you know, at least male geek circles that they actually don't. But I'm going to hold that thought because it's time for me to remind listeners that this is Fantastic Forum on WERA 96.7 FM. We are Arlington. I'm Ulysses E. Campbell. I'm joined today by Julian Lytle and Warren Bernard and Shireen Nicole. And we are talking about this huge reorganization that is still underway over at Warner Media and its subsidiary DC Entertainment. And uh, we're just trying to, uh, excuse me, I'm just trying to unpack this. I think that the other people on the panel have a real clear idea of what's going on with this. But uh, part of what I was going to say about this YA market, uh, and and I felt that it is deserving of uh, some scrutiny and study for some time, because I, I, I can only look at the example of my own household, where, okay, uh, dad has been buying comics since he was in first grade. I got two kids, and my kids are not, the kind, they're not avid comic readers like I am. And so why not? And what do you have to do to be able to get them into it? I mean, you know, my, my son has on and off bought some stuff. In fact, uh, a number of years ago when DC decided to renumber their titles, he sort of got into it then. Uh, my daughter has been a little more particular about what she's interested in reading. Um, you know, it's not that She's not into comics, but uh, has not necessarily found some of those titles that are going to appeal to her. And I felt like, hey, okay, you need to look at what's going on under the Campbell family roof, uh, because this is probably exemplary of what's happening in a number of different homes in the United States and in the UK. And again, the question becomes, as you were uh, articulating uh, so well, Warren, how do you create comic regular comics readers out of the children of you know these 45 year old white guys that uh, are are going into the comic book stores regularly given the size of that market so i mean that's and 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 that's a question but you know like i said dc had up until uh up until just recently had uh, been making a concerted effort you know to do that and uh, in fact it was um, Michelle Wells who had headed the uh, young adult imprint over at DC. And uh, apparently what's going to happen uh, is that they're going to pair the digital strategy and the YA. Because um, Jim Lee says they want to make sure they have diversity and inclusivity and making it in a way that they have authenticity to the storytelling that we're doing, whatever that means. Well, but the, the, the whole thing about digital strategy is, is that if you're under the age of, I'm just going to randomly pick some number, let's say 20, all right? Physical objects to read are quaint. And mm. you have a whole, now, now at least a generation and a half, not two generations, but you now have a whole generation of, of young people coming up who at the age of six, seven, eight, nine, ten, had smartphones and were consuming content on smartphones. Now, 
there there are exceptions. You know, people come to SPX and they go into the big comic book conventions and things like that. Now they'll they'll go ahead and and buy some stuff, but they have to be introduced to it to see the difference between reading something on even a laptop and reading a physical object. Now, superhero comics don't necessarily lend themselves to any kind of big differential between comic books, reading a physical comic book, and reading it online. Other story types do for a whole bunch of different reasons. So they have a big problem of trying to convince an entire cohort of people and everything that's going to come after the people, the, the, the children who are now 11, 12, 13 years old, to figure out how to get, how to get them in when the second you've got that, the second you have a browser up in front of you, your ability to go ahead and get content is endless. And so how do you get to those people so they get to your content? And that's a problem everybody's got. And I, and I think to, to piggyback on that, one thing Jim Lee says in that, in that, in that interview is about the ability to uh, reach a global audience. Yes. So one thing that people don't think about is that if you have a print comic, you have to translate this comic, print this comic, and distribute this comic in another country through whatever means and distributors and this, that, and third. If you release these books digitally, day one, you could come out with, let's say, the three major languages of, of the, the Western world and whatever, the, a couple of languages in the Eastern world, and your uh, your audience instantly go up into possible audience goes up into billions and if you get into a fraction of that you're making more money per digital release and sale or even through ad release or making it free than you ever got through a print release on a Tuesday in a comic book shop in America I agree no overhead no no overhead at all yeah it's 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 a whole it's a whole different thing and so you know over the course of time one could see print slowly in five or ten years starting to die a lot faster than it is right now i hate to say it but uh, also think about what this pandemic has done to comic book stores and how many comic book stores have gone out of business and then what dc did with its distribution which by the way when you read the jim lee interview them moving away from diamond at least according to them they they sold more books than they had expected through diamond is it true? Who knows? Is it corporate propaganda? <laughs> you know, there's a good chance that it was because they, they, you know, once asked the question, they have to put in the dig. Say, oh, yeah, this, mm -hmm. you know, because they, they, they can't say, oh, you know, it didn't work out. You know, they uh, can't of course do that. not. <laughs> <laughs> so, of course not. <laughs> so so there, there's this other dynamic that's going on that just the economics and the people who are coming into the um, prime reading ages of the medium are all going to be very different in five to ten years. And remember, those 45-year-old white men, one day are going to be 55 and 60. Mm -hmm. Some of them are 55 now. <laughs> That's right. Some of them are 55 and 60 now. Well, yeah. and, 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 you know, it'd be different if the average age was, let's say, 30, but it's not. It's actually yeah. a very solid a middle age, 45 yeah. or so. And and that and that's a real danger, and the and the demographers in the corporate world aren't blind to that in any way, shape, or form. That's why they've got all this push into digital, because once you get out of the United States, right? Mm -hmm. Where would you buy a Batman comic book? You know, you're in Japan. 
where would you get it? Well, it's a lot easier to go ahead and go on the internet and just pay the 50 cents or dollar, whatever the download fee is going to be for a, for a given item, and mm. read Batman that way. Mm. Wow. So it, but it begs the question, and uh, you know, we're, we're almost out of time, but I do want to uh, get each of your opinions about uh, where, where all of this is going. Uh, it, so let's start with you, Shireen. I, I, I think the whole conversation has answered that, honestly, is that um, it's, it's digital distribution is where it's going. It's, um, you know, we know that the adaptation market is really hot. And we know that often comic books are being made right now just so they can be adapted, right? So it's it's what Julian and Warren said. It's about, it's about t- cutting out the middleman, getting directly to your audience as quickly as possible, whether that be streaming or whether that be digital release. And, and we're also talking about the streaming wars. Now, what I think is going to happen with the streaming wars eventually is that there's going to be so much content that they're going to go back to what they originally intended with Hulu, which is that Hulu was kind of like an umbrella for all of this content where several networks came together to kind of stand up to to Netflix. It didn't work the first time, but I think those packages are going to come back. And you're going to start to see that again because people are going to start making decisions about where they're spending their money. We're not going to spend $7 here and $14 here 50 different times, right? So eventually there's going to have to be some kind of packages that allow us to get the content that we want and to customize it. So that's my thought, taking the whole conversation into um, consideration. Mm, okay. Where, where, what, do you, what do you think in terms of where this stuff is going, Julian, overall? But please well, put a bow on it for me. I, I personally, listening to the interview, I think in the, in the short term, which is the next uh, 12 to 18 months, it's going to be a larger push into digital. And then if that sells well, they'll do print. And, and the big thing about print as an object is it becomes a collector's object. You guys just think about other, say. other things like the reason why vinyl records gone up, not because people want to listen to vinyl records. They are it's objects. prestige. The yeah. reason why I buy tennis shoes that cost $200 a pair, it's an object. You want it. But overall, digital is going to get a lot larger as much as the comic book industry has fought this. Uh, there's other things that, that came around, like Webtoon is showing people is like, you want to get global and not just American people. And like Warren say, 45-year-old white men, if you want to really get global, you need to go digital. And then you can span out into every other form, television, video game, film. And I get to a point where... Film isn't going to matter that much in the next t- five to ten years either. It's going to be tele- quote-unquote television and video games. Those are going to be the major things, and comics are going to feed into that. You just won't have all these comic books, and everything is going to be more and more digital. You read it on your phone or your iPad or your photo piece of paper in the next ten years or whatever. Whatever's next. DC Comics will be here, but it might not be the way you think about it. Hmm. Okay. Uh, and Warren? Well, I, I, I agree with, uh, with Julian about the object, but the other thing that comes into play is print-on-demand. So there's no reason, you know, if you want to get something, people are so used to buying things over the Internet. And, you know, just think of what Amazon has done with books. That Yeah, there's always going to be some people that are going to want to go to a physical store. 
uh, you know, I, I happen to like that kind of stuff and where you can browse and stuff like that. But I see that the channel for physical objects is going to shrink to echo what, what Julian said. And something that Shireen said about us, about going back to this kind of Hulu or general cable TV model, what I think will happen before that is that seeing that they have, let's say, a stifled, they, they have not been getting the number of subscriptions they want, I could see Time Warner going, okay, so you don't want HBO Max for $18 a month. How about you get the entire DC universe for nine? And that the people who own the content start slicing and dicing that content into sub-pieces, right? So um, I, you know, I, I think that, well, that, that's what I would do if I was them. It's like, well, you know, if you're going to put all the DC Universe over on HBO Max, I don't know how many people are going to drag it over, but if you just carve that out as a, as a, as a sub-unit of HBO Max, then... You know that, that I, I would subscribe to that. So I see those things happening, and and print print will always be there. I mean, people people said that television was going to go ahead and get rid of radio. <laughs> yeah, right. Movies, it, it, yeah. It, it 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 didn't happen. Mm. Um, you know, so there, there were other technological transitions that that have occurred that have said, oh, this is going to die or that's going to die. Print's not going to die. It's just going to be a lot smaller than what it is now. Mm, yeah. Well, and comics are somewhat unique in, and I'm so glad uh, that you guys mentioned this, uh, in that there's the collector's market, too. And, you know, that has, okay, because that created a lot of speculation at one point to where they were doing multiple printings of first issues and, you know, people running out and buying as many copies of Spider-Man meets Barack Obama as they could thinking that this stuff is going to be valuable one day when nah there there are 50,000 of these things that are out there nobody's ever going to throw them away i'm sorry this one isn't going to have value you know when the whole idea behind the fact that there were over a million copies of action number 1 that were printed and there are probably a little over 100 copies of that left in existence now which accounts that and the fact that it was the de debut of Superman, you know, is what makes that particular comic valuable, especially depending on what the physical condition of it is. So the, the, the novel idea of comics also being collectibles is going to factor in somehow. But yeah, it's going to be interesting to see. Uh, I, um, like I said, my head is spinning <laughs> behind all of this. And, you know, as somebody who just enjoys the content, whether it's in uh, print form or whether I'm watching it on television or whether I'm plunking down my money to see it in a darkened theater again one of these days or whether I'm ordering it on demand or, you know, whatever. I mean, it's uh, if you got to have the content, then you have to acquire it some kind of way. So that's going to be something to see. Anyway, uh, of course, we are out of time for this episode. I'd like to thank our panelists and you too for tuning in of course fantastic forum is also a television show you can check it out if you happen to be in the right area and if you well or if you go to our website at fantasticforum.tv in fact we've got the various uh, video content broken out into segments we've got the radio content broken out you can check it out there 
Also, the show re-airs here on WERA each and every Thursday afternoon from 3 to 4 p.m. And, of course, it's also available as a podcast through the Great Geek Refuge and iTunes and iHeartRadio and everywhere you find your favorite podcast. So uh, thanks very much for tuning in. Remember to stay safe and come back again next week. Same bat time, same bat station.